Well, nice to see each one here at uh, Terror Road. And um, my son used to say, you're going up to Terror Road today? I says, no, they're good people. <laughs> yeah, Terror Road. And uh, always uh, good to be here and uh, be reacquainted with friends we've come to know through the years and really appreciate uh, your own ministry in the Lord. I want to mention before we turn into the scriptures for our lesson this morning, uh, the trip that we have coming up in November, Lord willing. Uh, the dates are November 6 and 7, and it's a trip to Washington, D.C. Uh, to see the Museum of the Bible. I've heard some great things about the Museum of the Bible. Perhaps you have as well. And uh, this is a trip that is one overnight, but two days. And again, it's uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, November 6th and 7th. If you're interested in joining those who have already signed up for this, uh, the deadline is September 30th, so it's coming up quickly in the next uh, two weeks or so. And if you'd like to join us, you can get the details on the flyer. I think there's one on the bulletin board. If not, I have one with me. Uh, you can also go to our website, knowtheword.com, or to our app, which you can find on uh, the App Store or Google Play. If you have an uh, a, uh, iPhone or a, an Android device, you can look at all those details as well. When you go to the app, you'll also find the messages that uh, just were given at Harvey Cedars Bible Conference down on Long Beach Island. We just finished the week down there. I wish we had weather like this. Every year we always have weather like this. This year was highly unusual. Florence, of course, as you know, down in, uh, down in South Carolina has been hit uh, with this hurricane and um, uh, that whole region. We're going to be hit with the remnants of it, too, uh, apparently, in the next couple days. But uh, we had great uh, fellowship and great ministry from the Word. Jim Compt from Ontario, Canada was our speaker, and uh, he gave some great messages on standing tall for the Lord from the life of Elijah, really timely ministry that we had from Brother Jim. So if you'd like to take advantage of those messages, they'll be available on that app and on the website in the next couple days, and you can see other things that we're doing as part of the ministry of Know the Word. Now, uh, please turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I would like to speak on the treasure that is in us if we're a believer. If we know Christ the Savior, uh, God has put a great thing, he put the Holy Spirit in us and put the message of salvation, indeed Christ in us. Matter of fact, you can find in the Bible a verse that supports the fact that God is in you. First uh, Corinthians chapter uh, 14 talks about the fact that a person coming in who sees and hears the wonderful things of salvation that are exhibited on a Sunday morning service. He says some person like that who's convicted in their heart and their lives, they'll fall down on their knees and they say, God is in you of a truth. God is in you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 says, Christ in you, the hope of, of, hope of glory. That's Christ in you. And then know you not that the Spirit of God dwells in you. So that's the Spirit in you. So we have the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Think of that. When a person becomes a Christian, they have the God of heaven and the, and the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit residing in the heart of the believer. That's what we'd like to focus on this morning, and the corresponding responsibilities that go along with that as well. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since we have received this ministry, Paul says to these believers, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, we do not faint. But we've renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, 
but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We're at verse 3. But even if our gospel is hid or veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then verse 7 will complete it. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And once again, God will bless the reading and obedience of his word. And he's made that wonderful promise in Isaiah chapter 55 that as the word goes out, it'll accomplish that which he pleases. It won't come back void. God has a purpose for every word that's read from the scriptures, uh, from the pulpit rather, the scriptures. And just as our brother read a portion, his word will accomplish its work. And we trust that'll be the case even today as well. Well, it was back in 1947 that a Bedouin shepherd looking for his lost goat threw a stone in one of the caves among the high cliffs atop the area near the Dead Sea region of Israel called Qumran. Apparently, uh, uh, he was taking his goat or sheep or something for a walk, and the goat got lost, and uh, he tried to recover that goat, and it went into one of the caves. And so uh, he threw a stone into the mouth of that cave. And as soon as he did, he heard the sound of broken glass, some broken jar, and it caused him to make the treacherous journey all the way to the mouth of that cave. So he climbing up the side of this uh, cave and went into the mouth of it, to his surprise, he discovered fragments of parchment among the broken pieces of pottery. He knew he had made an important discovery, and there was a treasure in his hand. So he took this uh, treasure, these parchments, and he went down to an antiquities dealer down in Jerusalem. They looked at it and brushed it off as if it was nothing. They looked at these things and says, ah, this is not so important. So what he did then is he went and found some other antiquity dealers, and they looked at it carefully, and they realized they had something very important on their hands. Apparently, there was a community there in Qumran, and uh, they were afraid that the Romans, 2,000 years ago, this all took place, uh, the events apparently took place that put that jar in that mouth of that cave, uh, the, uh, the inhabitants of this community thought the Roman army was going to attack. And so they put these parchments of the scriptures they had copied in these earthen vessels, something that wouldn't be uh, looked at as very important at all, and put them in the mouth of this cave, hid them away, thinking the Roman army would be coming and attacking them. Well, sure enough, the Roman uh, Roman. Uh, uh, army did come and attack the community and wipe them out, but they never went up to the cave. And so for 2,000 years in this arid environment, there lay these parchments of the scriptures that they had copied down in these earthen vessels, in these jar, clay jars for all that time, not deteriorated at all because of the dry, arid environment. And it was a valuable, ar- valuable uh, find archaeologically, and you know the story. It's the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found, again, back in 1947-1948. Well, just as that shepherd discovered a treasure inside a container that was used for everyday household use, so too the Lord wants to use his people in a very valuable way. 
And that's what Paul is bringing out here in verse 7. He says, we have this treasure. What treasure? Well, the salvation that we've just been thinking and singing about. And uh, the message of salvation and the fact that we have God and Christ and the Holy Spirit within us. We have a wonderful testimony for the Lord if we know him as our Savior. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. A very fitting description, is it not, of uh, how we are, frail as we are, broken, easily broken in some ways. Just as that uh, shepherd uh, discovered these earthen vessels, so too the Lord wants us to be used in a very valuable way, to hold this treasure, but in vessels that are really not all that important. We might think they're important. And so we have a tremendous uh, example given to us here in this portion. And Paul is again writing to these Corinthians, and he's reminding them of the importance of getting the gospel out, but making sure that the person who carries that message does not call attention to himself, but rather make sure, is making sure that that message gets clearly communicated. And so Paul in verse 2 is saying, we've renounced the hidden things of shame, Make sure that the vessel is clean, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, not a, not a P.T. Barnum of the spiritual world, not that type of thing, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves, he says, to every man's conscience in the sight of God, making sure that everything is clear, nothing between my soul and the Savior in one hand, and then making sure that we walk in an honest way before people so that the message is not confused so that there's a clear uh, exhibition of that message to the people that are in the world that need Christ. He then goes on in verses 3 and 4 and says, But if our gospel is hidden or veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And that's really a throwback to the previous chapter. If you take a moment and look for a second, just at the end of chapter 3, just a few verses back, Paul is talking about the veiling of the gospel. And he's explaining in chapter 3 how important it is to understand that the gospel is hidden some ways. But if a person turns to the Lord and changes their heart, they can easily trust him as Savior. Look what it says in verse 14 of the previous chapter. He's talking about the nation of Israel who, uh, when Moses came off the Mount, Mount Sinai, it says their minds were blinded because Moses, when he came off of the mount, he, he was radiant in his glow. He had just been with God for a period of time. But uh, it says here in verse 14, To this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Amazing words that we find here in the scriptures. He's talking about as a whole, the nation of Israel is blinded in the reading of the Old Testament. They don't see Christ because the veil is taken away in Christ. But verse 15, even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. So it's really a heart matter. It's not an intellectual matter. That's why it's foolish to try to engage somebody necessarily in intellectual conversation about the importance of the gospel. Some people may feel that's important, but really the heart of the matter is the heart. And that's what the Bible here is talking about. Where is your heart? That's what uh, Paul is in a sense saying to these Corinthians. But when a person comes to that point in their lives where they turn to the Lord and they have a heart attitude change, that's when the Lord Jesus comes in. So look at verse 16. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. See, it requires an individual to come to that point in their own life, in their own assessment, their own self-inventory. 
And they say, I need the Lord more than anything else. And then God comes in, and in verse 17, where the, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, he says, as Christians, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the Bible, the glory of the Lord, who are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And all those verses are to say this, that when somebody turns to the Lord, the Lord comes in. But it requires for that person to make that turning. To make that change, that approach, and ask Christ to be their Savior. And then there's that treasure that is in earthen vessels. And I said it's a very fitting description, is it not, that it's called earthen vessels. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, it says, The Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground. You know, you look at the creation account and you see what the, God did. He took the dust of the ground and he breathed into that dust of the ground the breath of life. And it says, man became a living soul. And so anyway, whoever has been to a funeral often hear the phrase, dust, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It's very fitting that we're called, in that sense, earthen vessels. Just as Paul is saying here to these Corinthians, because God made man out of the dust of the earth. And so uh, it's different than all the other creation. In chapter 1 and chapter 2, when you see the creation, he didn't breathe into the breath of life of animals. We're not in the same level as animals. There's people out in the world that would like to think that. But that's not the case. We're not evolved. We're not a higher level of the ape kingdom or the monkey kingdom or anything like that. He didn't breathe into that, that line, uh, the breath of life, but only into Adam and Eve. And so man now has a conscious awareness of God. And uh, Paul refers to this in Acts chapter 17, his sermon on Mars Hill. Let me read you these words. God who made the world, Paul said, in and in in this is in the shadow of the Parthenon, the great Parthenon in Athens, up on the hill. We took a group of people there a number of years ago. And there is the Parthenon, majestic, standing on the top of uh, the mount there uh, in Athens. And right off to the side is Mars Hill. And uh, Paul went to that very place, Mars Hill, 2,000 years ago and spoke to the Athenians. And they were very intelligent, very intellectual, and they wanted to know things. And they wanted to pick things apart just for the sake of discussion and debate. And so Paul stood all by himself in the midst of those Athenians, and he declared and proclaimed the truth about God. And this is what he said. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he's Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all people life, breath, and all things. And he's made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times. That means he determines what countries are, where they are, and the size of those countries. That's what that means. And the boundaries of their dwellings, that's their borders, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might find him and grope for him and find him, though he is not far from every one of us. That is what God is saying about the human race. He says, we are also his offspring, just as one of your own poets has said. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. He's poking at the carved images and idols that were there in Athens. Something shaped by art and man's devising. 
And so he says, this is how God, was ma- God made man in his image, gave him the capacity to worship and to love him. And that was God's originally inten- original intention there in the Garden of Eden. Until what? Until sin came in and separated man from God. So here we are made from the dust of the earth, frail as we are, and yet tremendous capacity to worship the God of the universe. And a brother in a previous meeting read that verse, uh, those verses in Psalm 8, and this is what it says, he's made man a little lower than the angels. How tremendous is that? Pretty good for being dust of the earth. We're made a little lower than the angels with a capacity to worship God. Person doesn't know the Lord, they'll, they'll try to worship anything. There's people that worship all sorts of things. That's because man's innate desire put in there by God to worship. But they should be worshiping him. Here they are, the dust of the earth, with all these, this great potential to worship the God of the universe, and yet sin separates, trying to find their fulfillment apart from God. And that's the only way fulfillment could ever come is by knowing the Lord and worshiping him. And so the problem is we're made in the image of God, and yet we are made from the dust of the earth, the earthen vessels, as this 2 Corinthians 4, 7 talks about. And yet man thinks he can go it alone. And so God remembers us. Remember that verse in Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14? As a father pities his children, so he pities, the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God remembers. God knows that we're dust. The problem is man doesn't remember that he's dust. Thinks he can do it on his own. As a matter of fact, uh, turn with me. Keep your finger right here in 2 Corinthians 4 and turn with me to Psalm 73. Now, Psalms are uh, not all written by David. Some people think that might be the case. Spurgeon, who we heard quoted earlier, uh, wrote a commentary called The Treasury of David, and it's a great book. And uh, Spurgeon knew also that the, all the Psalms were not written by David, but uh, there were 12 that were written by uh, the sons of Korah and a number that were written by this man called Asaph, who wrote Psalm 73. And Asaph could be like you or like me going through life and trying to figure things out. Uh, He says in a very clear proclamation in verse 1, Psalm 73, verse 1, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such that be of a pure in heart. He makes this summary statement out front. God is good to Israel, even to those who have a clean heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had almost slipped. It's a self-confession by Asaph. You know, it's what's called in the scriptures the sacred soliloquies when the person is talking to themselves. Have you ever talked to yourself? Yes. The problem is when you answer back, right? That's the. And we all go through self-talk. And the psalmist is doing the same thing. He says, my steps had almost slipped. Why did his steps almost slip? Well, he says, I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He saw the rich getting away with things. He saw them going along and skipping along in life like there was no problem. And he, he's having a hard time with it. He's wrestling with this spiritually in his own walk. He says, there's no pangs in their death, verse 4. 
Uh, their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men. They're not plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. They're forgetting the fact that they're made of dust. And they need the help of Almighty God. And they think they can go it alone. That's what sin does. Sin separates. Sin makes us act independent of God. Gives us a different perspective. He says, violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. This is, this is the rich. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and they speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. They don't need God. That's what they think. Their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, as people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them, and they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. That's what he sees as he looks out across the world. He says, they're having a fun time. They don't seem to be bothered by things at all. He says, I've, verse 13, I've cleansed my hand and heart in vain, washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued, and I'm chastened every morning. He says, I believe in God, and it seems like I have a guilt, guilty conscience every day. This is painful, it says for me. He even goes through it. He says, uh, verse 15, if I had said thus, and he declared it openly, he would speak, and he would be untrue to the generation of your children. And this is what he comes to conclude in verse 16. When I thought how I understood this, it was too painful for me. Emotionally, he was having a hard time with this. But look at verse 17. There's a hinge right there, isn't there? Until, until I went into the sanctuary of God. That would be tantamount to saying, until I came to the meeting. And I walked through those doors. And the word of God was opened up. And we had a whole different perspective he says, until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you have set them in slippery places. You've cast them down to destruction, how they're brought down to desolation in a moment. They're utterly consumed with terrors. We don't see the flip side of the Hollywood movie stars who are basking in the light of applause and all the accolades of man. And then the end result and consequences of their chosen lifestyle, whatever it might be. We don't see that because the cameras shoot off of them into the next guy that's coming down the pike or woman, whoever, coming down the pike. They have no interest. They throw them aside. That's where a lot of people come to know the Lord. I heard recently that Ingrid Bergman from Movie Star came to know the Lord. I didn't know that. We were watching a, a film on the end of Six Happiness, the life of a missionary over in China who led 100 children to safety during the Communist Revolution depicted in Hollywood with slight variations, as only Hollywood can do, adding its own little flavor to things, romance and everything else, you know, this, these movies. But the core of the uh, story is that she led, this woman led, uh, this missionary led a hundred children to safety. Tremendous account. And a lot of these movie stars, and a lot of these people, George Foreman, the boxer, so many people, Mickey Mantle, the great baseball player, you hear about their fame and fortune while they're in this limelight of this world. And then they bottom out in life. And the cameras are off of them. And that's when God is working in their hearts to bring people into their experience who will share the gospel with them.
We finished a meeting some years ago and went to a local restaurant. That's where Christians go after the meeting, you know, often to the restaurants. Well, not here. You have a nice thing downstairs. Sorry, I know that. But I often wonder when the Lord comes, the restaurants are going to really have bad business. <laughs> They're not going to have the Christians out there. We went there one time. We had 25 people from the chapel were in the, in the restaurant. Well, anyway, we went to a meeting, uh, rather, after the meeting, went to a restaurant, and there was a good friend of ours involved in ministry, connected with the Richardson family, anybody who's a Yankee fan from years past and the glory days of the Yankees, Bobby Richardson was a well-known, committed Christian, to the Lord is still living, committed Christian, faithful in his witness to Mickey Mantle all through the years of that great dynasty, witnessing to him all the time, all the time, all the time. Well, of course, if you know anything about the life of Mickey Mantle, uh, toward the end of his life, he had problems with liver from his alcoholism and all the rest. He says, I'm not, a, I'm not a role model, he would say very clearly to people, even though he was looked up to as a role model for a lot of young kids wanting to make, uh, make it great in baseball. But Bobby Richardson, with Bible in hand, there while Mickey Mantle was uh, dying, his declining health and uh, going through all the problems that he was going through, led him very clearly to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ there in his bed. And that's a night he trusted Christ as Savior. The next morning, I, uh, after the meeting, we went to the restaurant, and there is the family of, uh, related to Bobby Richardson. And they explained to me exa exactly everything that took place. And he says, now, Mickey, are you sure you understand? He says, I understand what I need to do. Trust the Lord Jesus as my Savior. And you have these wonderful things. And so these people are great in the eyes of the world, but when they receive the consequences of their actions. They come through this time of tribulation, and all they can do is either shake a fist at God and say, I don't want anything to do anymore with God, or they break down. And they trust Him as Savior. And that's what the psalmist here is talking about. They're brought down in a moment, verse 19. Prior, before, before that, the description and the look of the envious uh, is that they're doing everything right and they're not having any problems at all. But here he says they are brought down to desolation in a moment. He says in verse 21, Thus my heart was grieved, I was vexed in my mind, I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you without any understanding. Then he turns the corner here and says in verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. That's what Asaph had come to the conclusion. That's what you can come to inclusion as well, is if you're looking out across the way and you're seeing the world around us, you're saying, oh, that looks so good, like Lot in Genesis chapter 13. He looked at all the, city, the inhabitants of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says, oh, that's a well-watered plain. That's where I want to be. And he pitches his tent towards Sodom, it says in that chapter. And the very next chapter, he's uh, dwelling in the city, and chapter 19, he's taking a seat amongst the elders of the gates, and he got involved in a whole lifestyle only to lose it all. When God said, get out of that city, it's going to be destroyed. And so Asaph here in verse 23 says, I'm realizing now, Lord, I'm in the best place I can be. I'm continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. Afterward, receive me to glory. What a wonderful pathway for anybody to have, to know that the God of the universe is with you if you've trusted Christ. 
that he promises never to leave you or forsake you. He will guide you and direct you. You know, you hear these days about life coaches and all the rest. Well, here's a life coach to have. The Lord himself guides us continually, holds us by our right hand. He guides us with his counsel, and afterwards we receive me to glory. Who cares if someone has millions of dollars in a bank account? I've never ever seen yet, someone said, a, a, a hearse with a U-Haul behind it going to the cemetery, right? You leave it all behind. He says in verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? There's none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. That ought to be the way convictions that you have as well. Treasure in earthen vessels. And so man has to understand that he is indeed dust. God knows it. He remembers our frame as dust. It's not just people as well, because there's a verse in Psalm, I think it's Psalm, if I'm correct, Psalm 9, 9, I think it is Psalm 9, verse 20, says, let me read it to you, Arise, O Lord, let, do not let man prevail, let the nations be judged in your sight, put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. And all it takes is a natural catastrophe or the hurricane or an earthquake or some other thing like that to make people, even the nation, realize they need Almighty God to help them through life. And God allows some of these things, as painful as it is that we see, He allows these, some of these things to take place so people find that they have a need for the Lord. And so going all the way back now to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that's what Paul is bringing out these Corinthians. He's emphasizing the fact that believers need to be stepping out of the way and letting the message shine through so that Christ can shine in the hearts of those who don't know him. And he makes a parallel in verse 6 of that chapter, chapter 4, verse 6, between creation and salvation. He says, the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And just like it was in the creation account, the Spirit of God, it says in chapter 1 and verse 2, brooded over the waters of creation, hovered over that. So too the Holy Spirit hovers over humanity and uh, waiting for life to come forth. That's the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. To convict people of sin and righteousness and judgment. Not judgment to come, but judgment. Satan's been judged already at the cross. And the Holy Spirit is working in people's conscience. So they come to a point in their lives to understand their need of him. That uh, yes, they're uh, made of dust. But they can't do it alone. They can't live life independent of God. And the Spirit of God hovers and he speaks to people's conscience. Leads them along and brings them unto the sound of the gospel. Maybe you're here this morning not realizing that the Spirit of God led you into this place so you could hear these words. It's not me, it's the Word of God speaking. And the Holy Spirit working in your conscience to highlight the person of Christ, that He is the remedy for all of man's problems in life. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying we don't handle the Word of God deceitfully, we're not, uh, renounce, we are renouncing the hidden things of shame. 
by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves in the sight of God, in everybody's conscience, in the sight of God, making as clear as possible what the gospel of the Lord Jesus is all about. And so he says, we have this treasure. Would you like to have that treasure in your heart and your life if you're outside of Christ today? Would you like to have that treasure? All you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, come in. And you know, despite how dirty that might have been, the Lord comes in and he cleanses. He forgives people of their sin. How wonderful that is. He'll restore the years the locusts have eaten, the scripture says. He'll give beauty for ashes. That's Isaiah chapter 61. All these wonderful verses where the Lord comes in and he cleanses, he disinfects all those things and he comes in and he takes resident in, residence in your life if you don't know Christ. And he puts that treasure. And look at these Corinthians. The city of Corinth was this transient city outside of Athens, about an hour outside of it. We've been there in our trips over to the Holy Land. And it was like a town that would have, uh, you know, uh, like Lakehurst Naval Air Station, let's say, people coming in and out, and there's no accountability. So people have a tendency to do whatever they want to do because they know the next day they're out of town. And so Corinth had a reputation for being a very immoral city. And these Corinthians had a struggle with this. And he has to, had to say to them, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So then that takes us to the next step. What is that next step? God wants Clean vessels. He wants vessels that are clean. Turn with me just for a moment. We only have a few minutes left. But turn with me just for a moment to 2, Corinthians chapter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Listen to these words in verse 19. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands sure. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And in a great house, they're not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified or fit for the master's use, prepared for every good work. And so God is saying to you, if you're a believer, he wants you as a clean vessel. So he can be used of you for service. Despite the fact that we're earthen vessels, despite the fact that those parchments of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, were in these earthen vessels, there was a treasure within that earthen vessel. God has a treasure in your life and in mine. If we know Christ as Savior. But now he wants to use us for service, and it requires to be a clean vessel. Not only a clean vessel but a broken vessel. And this is the last scripture we'll have you turn to. Turn with me to Judges in the Old Testament, chapter 6. Judges, chapter 6. And the account is during the days of Gideon, one of the leaders of the nation of Israel, during a time, a very dark time in the nation of Israel. Could very easily parallel our society. A dark day for the nation of Israel. And in verse 25 of chapter 6, Judges chapter 6, and verse 25, God gives this instruction to Gideon. He takes, first off, he gives, an, previously, he takes an instruction, says, 
we have to go up against the enemy, the army, and so I want you to bring all these people together who want to fight. So there was 35,000. Once the 35,000 got together, he then said, anybody here who is afraid, go home. And about 24,000 went home. <laughs> Imagine how fighting a battle that way, announcing, whoever is afraid, just leave. And everybody leaves, practically. And so that left a smaller group. We say, okay, come down to the water and drink in a certain way. And those who drank in a certain way with this constant state of readiness, these, these were selected. And it came down to 300 people to against the Midianites whose armies were like the sands of the sea. Well, verse 25, came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, and he gives instruction for sacrifices. And then he says, in verse 28, that's, that follows that through, verse 28, when the men of the city rose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down. And, um, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm awfully sorry. I, I, I went on one, one chapter, chapter 7. Sorry about that. Chapter 7. I'm reading the wrong verses. Chapter 6. Chapter 7. Just turn with me for a second in chapter 7 and verse 16. He divided 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. That's chapter 7 and verse 16. He said, this is how you're going to win the victory. He says, I'm going to give you a trumpet in your hand. I'm going to give you an empty pitcher, a vessel, if you will, and I'm going to put a light or a torch inside that pitcher. He says, when you go out to battle, this is what I want you to do. I want you to blow the trumpet. That's the audible sound. And I want you to break the pitcher so that the light that's inside that pitcher would shine out. That verse is found in verse 20. Three companies that he divided these people up in, 300 people into three companies. He blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers, and held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And with those means, they vanquished the enemy. How was that accomplished? Broken vessels so that the light that was inside would shine out. And that's a lesson that God gives to you and to me as well. He wants first the treasure in earthen vessels. That's trusting Christ as Savior. Then he wants clean vessels so that they can be used for his glory. And then he wants broken vessels so that the light shines out. So that the only thing that is seen is the light of the Savior. That's the picture that we have in Judges chapter 7 that relates to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And so the question that I ask myself and I ask you as well in the audience here this morning, are you a clean vessel fit for the master's use? You know, every now and then, all of us have had this experience. We drop something of value into the garbage can. You've done it. I've done it. Utensils, maybe it's silverware, maybe it's a ring, maybe something else. And we have to dig through the sloppy garbage to try to find that piece, of that thing that's valuable. Nobody likes to put their hands down in the garbage can like that. Come up, you have to wash your hands. Well, God says, I want to be fit for the master's use as well. And, uh, I mean, God says to you and to me that we should be fit for the master's use. And so sometimes we can allow a lot of junk in our lives that need to be cleaned out so God will, uh, is able to use us. 
clean vessels, broken vessels for his glory. And may the Lord uh, speak to your heart and mine about these important issues as we consider this challenge from 2 Corinthians. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for your word that does speak to the matters of the heart. Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit can do his work of convicting of sin and righteousness and judgment. And so we pray, Lord, that uh, you would speak to our hearts today about these important truths. So we thank you again for each one here. We pray you take us to our homes in safety. We pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.